this I believe. The words we just sang is of the greatest of importance. Please take your Bibles, open to the book of 1 John chapter 2 this morning, verses 14 through 28. My sons, moving into adulthood, we took a father-son road trip, uh, one of those take the opportunity while you can sort of trips. We made our way to the Rocky Mountains and we were on our way to an appointment with a guy in a mountain town that I had met a few years before in the same town. I wanted my boys to meet him, to interview him, to hear his story. I had met him walking up, hiking up a mountain. I was a part of a larger group. He and I ended up walking side by side, and he found out I was a pastor, which, of course, always influences the conversation. He tells me that he has a ministry, which is a code for business sometimes, and his his ministry is speaking to church groups and especially to younger people. He said he was a Christian, and I probed, and I asked questions about his story, and by all appearances, uh, you know, he was a professing Christian. Then I asked about his early life experiences, and those were rather unique and extraordinary, where he functioned in a high-risk, you're going to die if you don't do this right, sort of an environment. And if you were climbing the tallest mountain in the world, he'd be standing on the top of it. I mean, he truly had a remarkable uh, biography and life story. I verified it online afterwards. And partly for that reason, and partly because he said he's a Christian, I wanted to talk to him in the presence of my sons. So we went to his office with an appointment, and we walked in and sat down and began to talk. We exchanged pleasantries. He asked questions about my sons. And then I asked him about Jesus Christ, and he gave me the, you know, the the standard response about who he believes Jesus is, but he was clearly energized, pumped even, by someone else he had just met. He had just had a personal audience with the Dalai Lama, and he was thrilled. And he talked about what the Dalai Lama told him. And he talked about how the Dalai Lama compared to Christ. And I listened, and my sons listened, and we asked questions, and this man claimed to still be a Christian. And so as we drove away, I asked my boys, what did you hear the man say? It was a great learning opportunity. What they heard the man say is that the Dalai Lama was equal to Jesus Christ. And that there were many ways to heaven and many ways to know God. And the man still called himself a Christian. You can't be both. A Christian is a follower of Jesus Christ. He is the exclusive and only way to know God. And that's what our passage is about this morning. The Apostle John uses language that may be unpopular today, but he calls out people who are opposed to Christ by what they say about the core of who Jesus is and what he did and why he died and why he was raised from the dead. And that's what we find this morning in our passage, 1 John 2. Follow as I read verses 14 through 24. 
it says this. 18, I'm sorry. 18 through 24. I was wondering why I couldn't find it in verse 14. Verse 18. Here it is. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. It matters what we believe about the person of Jesus Christ. It is impossible to believe whatever we want and still call ourselves legit followers of Jesus Christ, still truly Christian. If someone thinks that Jesus is a really nice guy who marched for world peace and challenged people to be kind to each other, and that's all, then that person is not a legit Christian or follower of Jesus. There's no end of people to this day who say there are many other ways to God than through Jesus. Gandhi. Gandhi once said, quote, all paths lead to God are equally good. That's a lie. Another lie, Oprah. Oprah said that she believed this, quote, there are many diverse paths leading to what you call God. There's still yet another entertainer who bought the same lie. If I said his name, you would know who he is. He called himself a committed Christian, but believed that each person is to find their own religion and that there are, quote, infinite paths to accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Truth is, there is only one true God. Truth is, the only way to know the one true God is through the one true God's Son, Jesus Christ. We can know God. We can know His Son. 
And the purpose of this little book that we are right in the midst of it is to reassure that you, that I, that we can know God. And a part of the purpose of this little book is to wake up people who are deluded or who think they know Jesus, but they've never embraced who He is, what He did, and how He relates and loves us. And to wake people up so that while we still can, before it's too late, that we can know God, obey Him, out of an obedient faith because of our love and return to Him. If we truly own, know Jesus, then we'll know the truth about Jesus. What we believe about Jesus is a matter of light and life, living in darkness, living in light. It's literally a matter, John tells us, of life and death. But there are those who want to deceive us who lie about Jesus, who have mega voices about Jesus, and who lie about other ways to God or about the person of Jesus and His death and resurrection. And this person with whom we met had great respect and had a great voice. Among other things, he was the expert who advised the actors in in the first movie, The Top Gun. So this guy had an extensive experience, and it was widely recognized. He had a loud mega voice, and now he says this to my sons. So who are we going to listen to? Jesus tells us how to recognize the lie. Last week, we saw the term, the name world, and this world is the current sphere that is the domain of Satan, and it's dominated by darkness and lusts that are natural to our flesh. Lusts of the flesh is a distorted desire. It could be a desire that God planted within us that in the context of the will of God is good, and it's a good gift, and it's a healthy desire, but... When it turns and morphs into lust, it's like a flood that overflows the banks of the river. And those lusts are internal, but they are kindled and coaxed by something outside of us. And this morning, we are warned that there is something else inside of not just us, but inside the local church. Inside the community of those who follow Jesus Christ. And we can sit side by side with them. We can serve shoulder to shoulder with them. God can use us for His glory and the good of others. And we don't truly know the others until one day they come to us and they say, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. It didn't work for me. And what they're really saying is, I didn't get my will, and I don't want to do His will. So I asked for something and didn't get it, and it doesn't work. It's not an algorithm. It's not some sort of A plus B. It is all in or not. Do I believe who He is if I confess my faith in Him? And I am of Him. Now, His voice and His will are greater than my will. Well, I use my voice to Him. So now we're introduced to a group of people who are inside of the church, the body, their friends. You have a relationship with them. You don't know what they really believe about Jesus. They know the vocabulary. 
It sounds similar, just like your vocabulary. But then they leave, and when they leave, you recognize who they've been all along. And that's what John says. They left, they were not of us, they went out from us, and part of the reason they went out from us is so that we can see they don't believe in Jesus, the crucified, risen Jesus of the Bible. So John, in trying to teach these people that he loves and warn them about the destructive and deceptive nature of that which diminishes who Jesus is, dismisses who he is, he calls them children. He's done that before. Last week, we saw children used with a different relationship. Children was used of our heavenly Father so that when we believe truly in the Son, we become daughters and sons of our heavenly Father, that relationship with who He is. But here, John, this old guy, he's an apostle, sat next to Jesus at the Lord's Supper. He was present at the cross. Jesus entrusted the care of his mother to John as Jesus would be resurrected and ascend to heaven. And so John was tight with Jesus. And now John speaks to this church and these people, and he basically says, Watch out, verse 18, it's the last hour. He ends verse 18, this is how you know it's the last hour. This is the only place in the New Testament this phrase is used. It's used twice, last hour. Well, what in the world does that last hour mean? How long does an hour on God's clock last? A lot longer than 24-7. The last hour began at the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And next week, come back, we'll see what happens when the last hour on God's clock strikes midnight. We'll see the return of Jesus Christ. So the last hour is an in-between time. A time in between the death and resurrection of Jesus and the return of Jesus Christ. Meanwhile, in the in-between time, Satan is the prince of this world and he rules his domain. He is the father of lies and he deceives, he destroys, he attacks and he tries to undo what God has done and will do. Satan has Demonic agents who are angelic beings who bought the lie and are legion with him in opposing the person of Jesus and the way of Jesus. But Satan also has flesh and blood agents on earth. And some of the flesh and blood agents are unwitting agents of the evil one. And other human agents of Satan are quite intentional about it. And he here names these agents of Satan and he calls them anti-Christ, which is pretty clear and definitive. Against, opposed, opposite Christ. At first he introduces a singular figure. The Antichrist, who has not yet arrived during John's day. And that Antichrist is a central figure who 
becomes wildly popular, who is an agent of life. He is Satan's rep in disguise, and the world embraces this central figure, the Antichrist. And for the last couple of centuries, people have been trying to identify the in time, last days, Antichrist with different political and religious figures. And we should know by now, we don't, but we should know by now that just takes us down to a rabbit hole that leads to nowhere. Instead, John warns them about those Antichrists have boots on the ground, were a part of your church, they're here, they've left, now you know. And he's going to tell us how we know they are anti-Christ. So he shares with us who they are. What we do know from verse 18 is that the Antichrist is not here yet. But those little Antichrists have multiplied like rabbits. And the minions of the evil one have multiplied and gone everywhere. And this is what they look like when they've been a part of the body. And they leave the body. And these Antichrists are real. And they were once among this church and these people. They were apart. They mixed with genuine believers. But they were frauds, and the day would come when they flew their colors. Verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they are all not of us. This is more than just a disagreement over secondary and tertiary things in a local church. This is more than people going to another church for perhaps, perhaps viable reasons. Uh, this is the kind of separation and division that is attached to Jesus Christ. So we talk about Jesus, and we talk about Jesus meek and mild and loving and kind, who unifies the body. So he is who we have in common. So as different as we are from one another, as different as a husband and wife who know Christ may be in their personality, temperament, experience, choices, the way we process information, make decisions, and the perspectives that we have that are different, as much as we are different from each other, when you whittle down what we have in common, you get to this. We have Jesus Christ in common. So let's start with the one we have in common and go from there. So you and I, as we follow Jesus Christ, now from different cultures, perspectives, different vantages, as we come together in Christ, we grow together in unity to Jesus Christ. So Jesus unifies. He also divides. He divides. We don't have him in common. People have rejected him. He doesn't work. I don't like what he says. I want the world. I want it now. And now, we want different things. We don't have Jesus in common. And we know that when they left. We don't have to chase them. 
Because they're chasing us. They're trying to reach us with a voice that whispers, that invites, that creates and sows doubt in the minds of believers. Happens all the time. Happens with, you know, famous Christian musicians who made bank off the church and then they discover and announce they no longer believe in this Jesus and they they leave their faith in Jesus. It happens with well-known pastors who when you listen to them and you look at them because they're a long ways away and they're not a part of the body that you're a part of and you don't really know them. You don't. I don't. God does and maybe someday we will as we see their faithfulness. But sometimes we see those voices that again... Uh, made a lot of money and now they're they're not following Christ and then they create a curriculum on how to disentangle yourself or deconstruct your faith and your belief in Jesus. Now they're using their voice for a different purpose and that happens with regularity. It happens here. It happens here in 1 John chapter 2 verse 19. They are antichrist and they are tight With the local church community, they are not headline-grabbing sensationalists, but they are an everyday varietal of Antichrist. They disagree with the identity and purpose of Jesus. It can be incredibly painful when somebody that we know well and love a lot comes out against this Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. And that's why I like that phrase. Because there are a lot of different perspectives out there about Jesus. There is one Jesus. And there is one perspective, and it's the apostolic, divinely inspired perspective of those who knew Jesus best, who had epistemic certainty. They touched him. They saw him. They heard him. We haven't seen him. We can hear him. We will see him. But it's on the basis of the apostle. And the inspired writers of the New Testament and the Old Testament as to who God is and how we can know God. It can be painful when somebody rejects this Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. So these are people they thought formally were believers. They left the church. They flew their colors. They're recognizable by their lies. And how do we recognize their lies? Verse 20, you have an anointing. From the Holy One. And you all know. I'd encourage you to read through 1 John. And every time you see the word know. That you take note of it. John talks about knowing. This is how we know. Sometimes the knowing is reassurance. Sometimes the knowing is is a biblical truth. Sometimes the knowing is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. Now. John says that we have anointing from the Holy One, and the Holy One is Jesus Christ, and the anointing is the Holy Spirit. We'll see that next week. This anointing is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in the life internally of all who confess Christ. So now, if you know Christ, you have the Holy Spirit within, and the Holy Spirit has a, an active, energetic, phenomenal presence inside of us who does a whole bunch of different things. The main job of the Holy Spirit is to point to Jesus and say, look at him. (laughs) Let me tell you about Jesus. 
And let me tell you what he says and how you can understand this word of life. So he creates understanding of what he says. So we have the Holy Spirit so we can recognize when somebody diverges from this word of life and this truth. We have the word of God. We have the spirit of God. John says you have the spirit of God so that you can know the Holy Spirit indwells us. He seals us. If we have Christ, we have the spirit of Christ. He gives insight. He gives discernment. The good news is this. John says, I'm not saying anything novel here. Uh, This isn't anything that's new. We like novel. (laughs) Okay, I've heard that before. Can you tell me something I don't know? (laughs) John's saying, I'm going to tell you what you do know. Well, why would he do that? Because that is the ultimate truth to know. And that ultimate truth to know now becomes the ultimate truth to live. That's where he's going. So he is reminding, and so oftentimes we need to be reminded and reshaped. And we enter into a new season or a new phase or a new kind of experience, and then we want to be reminded, and that's what he says. Check out the very next verse, 21. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth. I, I, I understand, John says. You, you know this, and I'm not, don't assume that I don't know that you know. I, I know that you know the truth. I want to remind you of the truth. So I, I have not written because you do not know the truth, but why? Because you do know it. And no lie is of the truth. Now we come to one of the main ideas of this passage, and that is the way to know a lie is first the Spirit of God, and secondly, to know the Word of God. We know the truth. So don't let anybody who's done a lot of great things in their short, brief human life, or don't let somebody who is your best friend and you have all these shared experiences, and you look in the rearview mirror, just wait. If you're young, just wait. Stay faithful and just wait, and you'll know what we're talking about, what John's talking about. So you can recognize the lie by knowing the truth in a life-giving, personal way. And so... The good news is the truth is nothing new to you. They already know the truth, and they know the word of life. And in knowing the word of life, they can recognize the lie that is to come and is present within them. And we're introduced to these people who are people of the lie. Who were these people? Well, they were an early form of a way of belief that has actually made its way into the 20th and 21st century. And in the last 15, 20 years, some really famous people have bought into this belief, this way of believing about Jesus and the way of believing about God. And they have come out and said, we believe we're Christians, but they're not. They are Gnostics because they bought in. Gnostic means no. And they bought into a way of knowing. 
It's a Greek word for to know. That's why John uses it so often to reference Jesus. Is these people are claiming to know what believers do not know. It's as if they have a secret sauce, a secret recipe, and only we can know it. And so this early Gnosticism developed, and by the 2nd and 3rd century, it made incredible inroads into the church so that some of the creeds, one of which we just sang, believers got together and said, this is what the Bible says about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And it became a confession of agreement. This is who and what we have in common. So... Those seeds have just been planted, and John is addressing those growing weeds among the the wheat. He says, this is how you know. And it's called Gnosticism. They believed lies about Jesus, and they actually, this is hard to explain. I even debated whether I should share it or not. They believe that you start in your flesh right here, and by a secret knowing of their secret sauce, you become increasingly like God until you are God, and they call that process, they call them emanations. You know when you blow soap bubbles, and they rise into the air, and the currents catch them, and they float away? Those are the emanations. And each bubble is packed with lies about God and Jesus. Until buying those lies, these bubbles ascend, and now you're the big bubble at the top of all the other bubbles. That's a simplified description of Gnosticism as it developed later. So now he addresses really their core belief of these emanations. They denied the deity of Jesus Christ. They denied the death of Jesus and the bodily resurrection of Jesus to some degree or other. They believe that Jesus was a good guy who said some really important things, but that he's not unique and that they know a different path and way to God other than through Jesus Christ. So we have verses 22 and 3. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Pause. There is... A significant difference between a liar and someone who tells a lie. Here we have a pathological liar. And the centrality of their lie is what they say about Jesus Christ. Christ, messianic title, sent from God to us, Jesus Savior, that's how we know God. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. Good news, the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. I don't think we could be more clear than what we just read and what we just heard. It does matter what we believe and confess from the heart about Jesus Christ, the Son. And if you and I have confessed our faith from the heart, not some sort of 
mathematical formula. You know, not, not some stringing of words together in a phrase, a mantra, but a real true intent where we confess our belief in who He is. And what He did, His death, and dying our death, and He's raised to life so that we have life right now and forever with Him. And that means He is our heavenly Father. Toward the end of His life, my dad had dementia and he was in a lockdown facility. We would visit or I would call him. I called him toward the end of his life. It was his birthday. I told him, you know, who I was. He asked me, where do you live? I told him. We had a brief conversation and at the end of that conversation, he said, Paul, remember this. I love you and I always will. And I was thankful for a father who one of the last things he remembered is who his wife was and who his children are. And that that relationship was alive and vital. You and I have a such dynamic, loving, gracious father who has no limitations. Who thinks with clarity that only God can who has a plan, he's working the plan, he's on the clock, and his clock is much different than our clock, and he's going to do what he says and finishes what he promised, and so that we can trust in who he is, and we can trust him no matter what we're experiencing at any given moment where we are. But at the very core and central is who we believe Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Turn to First John 4, the first three verses, and we see John circling the airport. So now we've gone all the way around the airport and we come back where we started. We've seen this before, but now he says a little bit more than he did earlier. So here's what he says in verses 1 through 3. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So you have a lot of verbiage, and we have access to verbiage more quickly, instantaneously, than at any time in the history of humanity. There's good in it. There's destruction in it. Verse 2, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh... He is God the Son become flesh. Verse 3. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that is coming. Now it is already in the world. Boots on the ground. Present. They were among you. That's the scary part. They They were in the body and we didn't know who they were until they left and flew their colors. Back to First John 2, verse 24. Speaking of these people, what did they know? When did they know it? What did they do with what they knew? 24. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. So beginning could refer to the cross and 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It could refer to the first time they heard these words of Jesus and responded by faith to this response of faith in who Jesus Christ is. But this beginning, they've heard it, they've experienced it, and this word of life, word of truth, abides in them. So the word of life is in them, and then the last line, and you also will abide in who you'll abide, in the Son and the Father. To abide, to fold my will and my heart and my trust and my lips and my desires and this right now drifting away, thinking about all the other things on my to-do list or that I need to put on my to-do list, and suddenly we're not really abiding in Christ. It includes a trusting and a loving and a transforming and a giving of ourselves to Him. Sometimes you and I, it's like we're walking through a minefield of deception of clamoring voices who dismiss or distort the person and word of life that is accessible to us in and through the person of Jesus. If we're not careful, as followers of Christ, we can confine ourselves to an online, on-air echo chamber that reinforces a distorted view of Jesus, that diminishes who He is and how we view God and how we view others. But the only echo chamber of gain to the believer is the Word of life that we would embrace, that we would take up and read, that we would read through the Bible, grab one of the training read-through programs, or go online with one of our options and engage the Word of God for the benefit of us and for the world. So how are we to walk through the minefield? Well, three takeaways here. First, expect voices that diminish or distort the word of life. Elevate the word of God personified in Jesus. Elevate above all else. He unifies those who believe in Him, divisive to those who don't. Divisive voices can be persuasive voices. We can know them. Maybe we've read our books and then they begin to turn and deconstruct and dismantle what they once believed. Expect it. It's always happened. It's going to keep happening until the clock strikes midnight. And Jesus returns to this earth. Secondly, listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit testify of Jesus as He creates understanding of the Word of God. When others speak, make sure. When I speak, when anybody speaks, compare it to the speaker, to the Word of life, to the Word of God, to Jesus Christ. Don't listen because... You're my friend, or don't listen because, you know, you have other reasons. Listen to the word of life only. If I go off the rails or off track, you can bet the elders and the other leaders of this church are going to be having a serious conversation with me, and that's the way it should be. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. 
and compare our words to those who knew Jesus Christ better than anybody else. Here's what I mean by that. Distinguish between the primary voices and witnesses of Jesus. That's the apostles. That's those on the ground. Those who knew who he was. Distinguish between the primary witnesses and the secondary and tertiary witnesses who are six times removed from these apostles. Who spoke with clarity and authority. John Stott, I quote a voice that tells us to listen to the primary voices above all else. John Stott, quote, We have no liberty to preach Jesus Christ according to our own fantasy or even according to our own experience. And I would add that our experience is when people who say of following Christ, I tried it, it did not work I didn't get my will. I'm not going to do his will. Our witness of Jesus is only as true as is the witness of the primary witnesses of Jesus Christ. Thought concludes. Of these witnesses, they were with Jesus and knew him. And they have borne witness to what they heard with their ears and saw with their eyes Our witness is always secondary and subordinate to theirs. We can recognize the truth through the Holy Spirit who indwells us and helps us to learn of Christ and love Him. Third, abide in Christ. One word, abide. Throughout this book, throughout the Gospel of John, remain in Him. Listen to His voice. Embrace who he is and what he says, even if you've heard it before. What we may not have done before is, in abiding, is fold our will into his will. What we may not have done before is abide in him to the point of obedience to him. Don't delay. Don't diminish. He is much greater than we have ever known. And now we get a fresh opportunity to do an old practice. We get to remember who He is, thank Him for the ultimate gift of life, His life for ours, so that we can live our life for Him right now and forever. Will you bow with me, please? In a few moments, we're going to receive the bread and then the cup. It is for those who have a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't know Him, now's the opportunity to confess Him in a genuine way and share it with another person who already believes. But for the rest of us, it's an opportunity to remember His body was broken for us and His blood was spilled out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that we can, again, do what we know, what we've experienced, what we've done countless times before, but help this morning to be fresh and new and right and joyful and exuberant and solemn in understanding how great is the depth of your love. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.